ideas and be the best that you can be, a.k.a. the Reb, the Reb with a cause. Yes, I know you haven't received your prize yet. Well, actually, the envelopes have been uh, addressed and stamped. So the next thing is we have to put the prize in them and get them to you. Please be patient and let me know when you do get it. And we want to thank you for joining us here on J. Root, the station that listens to you. Parents B, a.k.a. the Reb, the Reb with a cause, and the cause is you. A rev against a life without meaning, value, and purpose, meaning values and purpose. Because as a a famous Greek philosopher once said, a life um, unexamined isn't worth living. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that statement that a life that's not examined is not worth living? It's a powerful statement when you think about it, meaning somebody who doesn't scrutinize their life, think about why am I here? What am I doing here? And examine the purpose of a person's life. It's really not worth living. In other words, it's kind of wasted. Not kind of, it, it is. Would, would you be in accordance with that? I'd like to hear what you have to say on it. 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. You know, one of the things that we talk about during this this time, which, by the way, should not be a depressing time. Rapunzel's Rav, all used to say that when Adar enters, Misha Nicholas Adar, Marva Vesemka, and when, and when Menachem Av enters, then we, we lessen Simcha. But he said a little more Simcha, a little less Simcha, but always Besimcha. It never says to nullify Hasushalm Simcha, right? It just says in Adar we increase it, and in Menachem Av we decrease it. So it's a time that we can really focus on on where we've been, knowing that we used to have a base of Megdash, concentrating on now, knowing that we don't have it, and what we can do to make it happen, and in the future, to know that with Hashem's self it will happen, we can do something right now, focus on the here and now, to bring that that great day when the base of Megdash will be rebuilt. One of the things that we know that cause the destruction of the base of Mikdash, and it has to do a lot with what each of us can do in terms of our own personal growth and helping other people to grow, which is really what we hear about on Growth for Greatness. Lush and Horror, as we know, destroyed the base of Mikdash and really keeps it ruins today, as the, um, the Chofetz Chaim described, and as in a lesson which I would suggest everybody get, even if you're learning it in Hebrew, which I think is, is vitally important and gives you a the direct line to what the Chofetz Chaim was saying. But the Chofetz Chaim Foundation did a you know, wonderful job of putting out with uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz and Rabbi Shimon Finkelman and the, uh, the art scroll people put out you know, quite a while ago the concepts and laws of proper speech arranged for, for studying on a daily basis. The Chofetz Chaim a lesson a day, and it's something everybody should have in their library and take out. And in the, um, in the introduction, which is a work of excellence and art in, in and of itself and a, pra- and a practical look at the um, I don't want to say the philosophical look, it's not speaking Russian horror, but a deep deep grasp of what it means. And by the way, I'll tell you there's another book I came out. I'm not recommending it from the rabbinic point of view not recommending it from the rabbinic point of view because I really know if I would agree with everything that this person says but he did put out a book which was really on target in a lot of ways. It was by Rabbi Joseph Telushkin. It's called Words That Hurt, Wor- Wor- 
that heal, how to use words wisely and well. I want to take a look at a little bit of that as well.
I'm really happy for you, and I'm gonna let you finish. But Hanukkah had one of the greatest Jewish holiday specific ethnic foods of all time. How could you eat those latkes? It was December, I was hanging with my maidel, eating gelt and spinning up some dreidel. Try to win, but I was not so nimble. I got the nuns and she got all the gimbals. It was my oath to her that I was hearing. As my coins continued disappearing, suddenly my nose starts to twitching. From the aroma coming from the kitchen. So we're playing this game just like I told ya. By the light of the Hanukkah menorah, we had to finish the rounds. I couldn't wait though. I knew my mom was frying a potato. about that, my good friends, we were talking about um, not speaking Russian horror. Sorry for the technical difficulty, but I was saying, Rabbi Telushkin was quoting a study in the Harvard Law Journal, and I said, the Harvard Law Journal, while it's noteworthy and notable, doesn't hold a candle to what um, any 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 bucher learning in yeshiva could be learning, or somebody in Kolel who's learning Chosh and Mishpat. That's right. But he was saying that even the secular journal understand that speaking negatively has a very, very serious effect on people and can really be hurtful, and people should therefore get away from it and, uh, and speak more positively, the power of positive speech. So it's not something that, that only members of colleagues will know about. We all know about it. Okay, I wanted to move on to a couple of things that, um, that we were going to talk about which has to do with where we are right now in these Parshas, Matos, Masai. You know, if a person is quiet and your, your silence can be mistaken for agreement with something that is wrong, should you be quiet? In other words, if you remain quiet and it could be mistaken for something that's wrong, should you remain quiet? So the story that I use for that is the story about the fellow that bought his mother a parrot. And this is a story which I've told before, but you'll appreciate it again. I, I did mention it last week when uh, I was at the Ura retreat for for another reason, which is that there's a time to speak out. Fellow buys his mother a parrot, and the parrot is very unique in that it cost about $5,000, spoke four different languages, and had an intelligence quotient, an IQ of about 180, which is, um, I think, like Einstein level, right? So he brings it over, and his mother lived by herself, uh, woman who was an Omana, and she, you know, appreciated the, the company of having a, a parrot in, in, in the house. Well, he comes over two weeks later. Now, this, this 
parrot, by the way, happened to be very unique in that it was, I think, actually a kosher species. How, where, what, I don't know, but for the sake of the story, we'll say that it was. At any rate, he comes over, and his mother serves him supper, and he says, Mom, that was delicious. What was it? She says, Oh, it was the bite. The what? It was, it was the bite, you know, the one you bought me last week. Mom, that bite, that bird, cost $5,000, spoke three different languages, and had an IQ of 180. Ma, how did you do it? She said, No, why didn't it say something? Yeah. Why didn't it say something? There is a time where we have to speak up and speak out. However, however, there are times where we should simply remain silent. And we should not remain silent if one's silence can be mistaken for agreement with something that is wrong. Now, there are times to be quiet, for example, to be mavater when somebody insults you. I hope they don't, but if you're insulted, that's a great time to be quiet. The Villagone says, for, for every moment that a person remains quiet, when they're insulted or humiliated, they receive a reward that even the malach and the angels can't fathom. But if remaining silent is going to be misconstrued for agreement with something that is wrong, no, that is the time to speak out. Or uh, to paraphrase what uh, said about the parrot, why didn't you say something? And you see it right here. It says that if her husband will remain silent for a complete day, then she must fulfill all of her vows or all of the bands which are upon her. And then it says he has established them because he remained silent on the day that he heard them. That's telling us. So my dear friend Rabbi Zeli Pliskin says that we look to the Sforno for a magnificent comment. When a person has the ability to protest and remains quiet, well, what is that doing? That silence is similar to a verbal consent. It's like saying, yep, I agree with that. And when you do not say something to disagree, it's kind of if that you are agreeing with what was said or done. Now, this concept has a lot of practical applications. How? Well, tell me if you've ever been in this situation. Very often, someone might say something in your presence that's improper, and you feel, well, what, what's, what, what's the point? I can't really influence this person. And uh, that person's not going to change their mind. They're not going to change, or they're not even going to stop what they're saying. So here's the question. Should you speak up or remain silent? Should you speak up, protest, or remain quiet? So let's look at this. Whenever your silence can be understood by others by agreement with what was said, then, according to this forno, you have an obligation to speak the emiss. And that way, no one will mistakenly think that you agree with what was said. And moreover, you know, you just don't know what good might come out of it until, until you take that step. Meaning like this, perhaps, perhaps, and I, I'm saying it's perhaps, but there's a pretty good perhaps here, that, um, that you might be successful in influencing others to make positive changes. A person who's not very assertive might find this difficult. But learn from the person who says things that should not be said. That's right. Learn from the person that does something wrong to do something right. If they're able to say something that they shouldn't, so you certainly have a right, called Vahoymer, to say those things that should be said. Because they're not afraid to say something improper. No. So you should have the guts, you should have the courage to speak up 
out of your idealism and altruism and good kite. Now, I remember once taking a class when I was, um, uh, how shall I put this? Okay, I mean, most of you know out here that with a cutter program's help, that part of what I what I do in terms of the broadcast and uh, motivational speaking and coaching in Mir Tzishem is to use other media to do that. And one of those things is uh, my training as a as a producer, director, and uh, an actor. And um, not too long ago, after having consulted with a rub who I was very close to, I asked him if it would be okay to um, to fortify those skills again, so that I could use them, hopefully to hopefully to marble cover the shem, cover the Torah, vis-a-vis the uh, the vehicles that that I might that I might be using them in. So, well, to make a long story endless. <laughs> To make, make it shorter, I I, 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 think I took an acting acting course. Okay, and I'm not telling anybody should do it because it's not, you know, as you guys hear from the story, it's not always the greatest place environment to hang out. But I don't know if it's any worse than going to some other, you know, business groups that I've seen people go to where you know you meet all different types of people and not everybody is uh, nearly on the same page as you. But it does provide an opportunity if you, if you insulate yourself properly, uh, mentally and. Uh, emotionally and hashkafically, you know, to be in those situations. Uh, I was taking this acting class. Now, there were there were a number of people there, and a lot of them, most in fact, younger than I was, some older. But the point was these were, you know, all very um, goal-oriented uh, wannabes in terms of, you know, becoming stars in the industry. And, you know, most of them would, would, would not be. But they were in there, you know, trying to get the best training. And the person who was giving the course was a veteran of the of the entertainment industry. But the kids in Nimritz, the uh, the acting instructor himself was a, a veteran producer, looked at me and you know, I'm sitting there in a suit and tie and a, and, and, and a yarmulke and my sister's are out. Needless to say, uh, nobody else there was, was dressed uh, anywhere near like that. So he looked at me and he said in a very nice way, not condescending at all, he said, um, do you have any um, any limitations, or do you have any conditions that you would like to make during the course of the class? Because there may there perhaps might be some things which might be said during the course of uh, something which is read, which might not be suitable to your religious beliefs. And he was talking about uh, either ideas or language which might have been used. So I told him, I said, there are two criteria that, that I would have since you since you asked me. One is that. Uh, any scenes that I would be in, um, I prefer that it should be between a man and a man, or if it's uh, between a man and a woman, that it's you know and that it has no hint of anything that would be um, in, 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 inappropriate in any manner, shape, or form. And that language should be. I, I would ask. My request is that that it be clean. That there be no. Um, on, on, on savory language that's used. And he understood exactly what I meant. So he looked at the class and said, does anybody have any objection to that? You know, there wasn't a single hand that went up that objected to it. And after the class, and after I gave my monologue, which was, uh, I thought, a pretty nifty piece based on a, a, a monologue of the play called The Devil and Daniel Webster, which was a very powerful He's in a terrific monologue and a very patriotic monologue about the greatness of the United States of America. He uh, gets up and he gives a speech, basically 
the people that were the, the worst type of uh, of people who were, were traitors and uh, people who really, let's put it mildly, they, they were not very not nice people. And that's the jury, you know, a jury straight out of Gehenna that comes up and he has to defend his client against these guys. And he does this magnificent job. And I, I gave it over. And, uh, you know, the, the instructor after said, you know, I really appreciate the was very good. And people came up to me after the class and they said, we appreciate what you did about saying that nobody should uh, use inappropriate language, and, and we really appreciate it, and we want, to know, we want you to know we respect you for that. So you see that you can stand up and take a stand. There may be times where you'd be criticized for it. I mean, I, I could think of instances where uh, I myself and others I know have been said, oh, you know, what are you, like the Fermis in the group? What are you, you, you know more than we do? But here you see, standing up for what's right by doing the right thing, which is an ongoing theme of growing for greatness, that it was respected and it accomplished something. At least for that one session, there wasn't a foul word that was said, an inappropriate comment. And at least for that moment in time, there was, hopefully, something which, in addition to being anything else, it was a Kiddush Hashem, but it also affected a change, momentary as it was, but it made an impact. So have you ever been in a situation like that where you um, you wanted to say something, you didn't know if you should, but if you would have remained quiet, it might have been construed as agreement? 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Wherever you are, give us a call. You're in the Cathy Catskills. Give me a call. You're in the beautiful, uh, easy-to-find parking Borough Park or Flatbush today, or in Muncie or in Lakewood, or as uh, that fellow who called in last week from Eretz Israel, wherever you are, the Arbor Country is ours. Please give me a call and say hello. 718-683-5858. This is Parents V, a.k.a. The Rev. I don't claim to know everything, but you can talk to me about anything licensed by the state of awareness. There's the to live life to its fullest and, uh, Hopefully to be certified soon by a major coaching association, um, so they say, which will give me the um, the, the bona fide paperwork, the credential, as it were, to say, yes, I am a certified coach. However, I don't really believe that the certification is the most important thing in the world. I, I really think that, that the training and experience and gift of, uh, of insight that a coach gives a person is really more important than any of that. I was speaking to somebody who's a licensed social worker yesterday, and he was telling me that really the most important thing is who you are as a person, what you have from your life experience, and, of course, the the training that you get in terms of how to handle certain situations, and I think the one of the quintessential people in that area, and um, I, I'm, I'm saying this with Ellis because I think he's just an extraordinary person and an extraordinary therapist, which is Irving Mordecai Weinberger, who broadcast on, on J-Root, and he's a person who not only has great life experience, but also has tremendous training, insight, and compassion. I really urge people to listen to him. And by the way, things which I might feel are not my bailiwick, I would feel very comfortable recommending somebody like, like him to, or somebody who has a different venue of training. But in any case, you can talk to me about anything, and Today we're talking about 
and our avenue and our quest for growing for greatness. Have you ever been in a situation where you could have said something, and if you didn't say something, it might have been construed or misconstrued as having been in accordance, agreement with that which was said, and you decided you were going to speak up. And what happened? Did people take it to heart? Did it make an impact, a difference? Were you criticized? What, what, what happened? Now, I remember last week a fellow from Great Britain called and said that he didn't like the idea that somebody went up to his spouse and uh, criticized her for something, but the truth is you have to know, you know where it's coming from. Being critical when, when you know, it's not called for is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a situation where something is inappropriate, and you're there, and you're right in the middle of it, right? And words are flying, and things are going on. And if you keep quiet, they're going to say, well, she agrees with me, so therefore we must be right. Well, he agrees with me. He didn't say anything. So since he didn't say anything, we figured you just went along with it. You ever been in a situation like that? Call me at uh, the following number, 718-683-5858. So 718-683-5858. All right. This is Paris B. a.k.a. The Rev. Haven't heard from you yet. Just pick up the phone and say hello, 718-683-5858. And speaking of which, you know, when something is difficult, good idea to think about it before you take a step. But speed is of the essence. In fact, speed in doing something difficult is praiseworthy. I'm not talking about being impulsive. I mean, when, you, when you've contemplated it, when you've thought about it, you cogitated it, you went over it, is it the right thing to do, is it the wrong thing to do, and you weigh it, you think about it, and then you come to the conclusion, yes, it is, don't, don't take a nap. Act on it right away. And you see it right here. And Moshe spoke to the people saying, detach from you, men for the army, and they shall be against Midian to take the Almighty's vengeance against Midian. What am I quoting? Uh, it's in Marcus. You know where it is. It's in Gimel. Yeah, take a look at it. Open up a commission. I went right there. Take, take a look. You'll see it right there. So again, my good friend Rabbi Pliskin says that is a Rashi that cites the Sifri. It goes like this, and let's stay together on this because you're really gonna you're gonna love this. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu heard that he would die after this battle, he knew that when that battle was over, he was going to Elamamus. He nevertheless acted with joy and didn't procrastinate. And we see here two important traits in doing the will, the ruts of the Kaddish Baruch Even though we might find it difficult, one of those traits is joy. Simcha. Mamish emistika simcha, joy. And the other is acting with alacrity. Great word for speed. Doing it quickly with Jesus. We know in Perkyavus, what does it say there? In Perakei, the 23rd Mishnah there. What does it say? Come on, you know it. Lefum Askar Agra. The more difficult it is to do a, 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 a mitzvah, a mitzvah, tovim, well, the greater the reward. The most precious thing a person has in life is what? The most precious thing a person has is life itself. And we're told, Bechat and Choose life. And knowing that fulfilling the will of a Kaddish Baruch 
will cost one's life. That is the greatest difficult possible. I'm thinking about when the Gertzedek Skusagenalino knew that he was being walked out to go to his his imminent death to be burned at the stake. They passed by the the Kloys, the uh, the shul or the house where the Vilna Gon was, and the Gon sensed what the Gra, what, what the Gertzedek was asked was, should he go quickly or should he? Save every moment of life and go slowly. And the cross said to go with Zrezus, to go with a, with a Simcha. All right. This is Terrence B., a.k.a. The Rev. Hi. Are you with us? Yeah. Hi, how are you? Hello? Yes, hi. Good yes. afternoon. Hey, I'm in the B. car. What can I do for you? Hello? Yes, ma'am. We were listening to your speech, my kids and I. Hello? Yes, ma'am. And um, you mentioned the point about saying something versus keeping quiet, because or else it seems to, it, it would seem that you agree otherwise. Right. Is that right? So let me, let me rephrase the question. The question was like this. The person, can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. If a person is in a situation where you are not saying something would be construed as agreeing with what the people are saying, should you say something, and have you ever been in that situation? So my question is, in a general way, I kind of think that, um, is this like a personal two, three people type of conversation, or is this just like people talking, the media saying things? I feel like there's so much around me that I so don't agree with, but I don't, I don't think that people should be opening their mouths. I find it comical when people call in or unless I'm wrong for finding it comical, I, I wonder. But, like, writing letters to editors and things like that, I, I think a lot of what goes on is, is simply insane or pathetic or needs another perspective. But I keep my mouth to myself because I think that everybody needs to do what they need to do in this world. I don't know. Are we supposed to be looking around and voicing our opinion? This sounds a little bit hot-headed. You know, that, it's really a shock of practice that you should say that because we were just learning last night through a, um, a class that I go to initially where it says that a seal speaks everything that's on their mind. And venting is something which a lot of schools of psychology say today is something that's very healthy for you. But from a, an authentic Torah perspective, what you're saying is really true. No, you don't have to vent everything that... And you feel, and, and you're entirely I mean, to right. Your personal people, of, your personal circles, perhaps you want to vent to your husband or your wife or your kids or somebody that's in an appropriate position to be vented to, but to just like go around spewing your brilliance, I think that the world can do without it, even if you are brilliant. I, I, I won't take that personally, but I happen, I, I do happen to. I'm, I'm not saying it on you at all. I. I came in the middle of the speech. I'm not saying that, but I just sometimes wonder, you know, uh, I'm a teacher and I see all around me people get very hot about therapy, for example. It's just as an example of like everybody doing something and writing about something. And whenever there's a therapist that's having any success, you see throngs of people in the city area rushing and everybody's saying, and I feel like somebody needs to be taking a healthy perspective, and I zip my mouth, and very often I was saying to those immediate family members that I disagree with the therapy course, or I think that the best 
you know, I think people are running to therapists because they're too tired to do it themselves. Children will be fine, or majority of them, if we would put the effort into them and love them instead of running around and finding cures for every little, perhaps, social misnuance that we might see. I'm just saying, should I go around and tell everybody, you know, I have something to say. I feel like... You know, everybody's going to make their choices. Nobody wants to hear what people have to say. Nobody wants to hear that what they're saying is wrong. I don't know. Well, you're hitting upon a very serious problem that that we face today, and I just saw it very recently. I um, I did a report recently for a um, for, for a broadcast outlet, and it got numerous comments, and they would some of them were just absurd. I mean, why does everybody have to put their two cents in? Which is what you're saying. With blogs right. and things like that today, everybody feels that they're a part See, of not everybody everyone is as bright as me. I'm, I'm joking around, but I'm just saying some of them are really, you know, just keep quiet. Why are we saying things? That's what I would think. I think, I think to a large degree you're right, and in most instances you would be absolutely right, uh, especially in a case where a person, as I mentioned, would be, in, would be insult, insulted by something, and they just don't say anything. Or they don't have anything to add to the dialogue or the conversation. However... If you were in a situation where it was uh, a topic of, of importance um, and you were in that group, and while you're keeping quiet, they would say that you would agree with them. Let's say, for example, I'm just thinking of something like, let's say you were in a group of people and people would say, oh, you know, um, I, I don't understand why, uh, why, why there has to be a mechitza in a shul. I mean, after all, I mean, you know, aren't, isn't everybody equal? And, you know, and they know that you're a person who is a Torah-observant Jewish woman who runs a household and you abide by the laws of, um, of Torah and Yiddishkeit, and you don't say anything. So they might later say, well, um, hey, she didn't say anything, so I, obviously she must agree with me. So in an instance They like never that, asked me. I, I, what is that? Uh, my, my thought would be to be quiet and, and then think to myself, you know what? They deep down they know that they could ask, or they see I represent something else, and they chose not to ask or to confirm something. So that was their choice. I mean, that's just what I would okay. think. I, I think I, I think I think you have a good point. However, what about if they were about to decide on a on the way their shul was going to go? It wasn't your shul, but they said, "Listen, we're going to go ahead and do it because." She didn't say anything about it, so she must agree with it. Therefore, we're going to do it. I, I would, it seems I, so far fetched. No, I don't mean to be. Unless right. I'm just not in the circles of this ever happening. Like, it doesn't sound like a right, usual okay. thing where it's real things are going to happen or take place or or changes because or because of what you didn't say. Absolutely, I think you're, you're, you have a very good point. That unless it's going to make a difference, why say something? Unless it would be construed as agreement, which that then might have further consequences. You would be right. Actually, one of the things that uh, we learned from also is that if you're going to speak, speak last. Wait till everybody says something, and then if you feel there's anything that you can add that will be gained by your insight, then you should certainly... However, you're right. When in doubt, better to be quiet and, uh, and not say anything. Unless, again your comment might be construed as agreement, and that agreement might lead to a consequence, which would be something which would have serious ramifications to it. Anyway, I want to thank you for the call. If you leave us your, um, your contact information, Lee Netter, we will send you out a uh, token of appreciation from JRoot. You can send it to me at chlermedia at gmail.com or 
888-221-4605. Thank you very much for the thoughtful call. Hi, Parents V with you. Yes, hi, how are you? I had a, I had a story. Hi. Yes. Uh, I had a story happen to me uh, a couple of years ago, but I, I think about it often because I, I'm thinking I should have I should have acted differently. This is a, a Shabbaton for a cure organization. I'm not going to say the name, but it was a nice Shabbaton, and they had different speakers, religious speakers, not religious speakers, because the crowd was uh, was mixed. Um, I just went with my family. I've been religious a long time. I'm a Maggid Shear, as a matter of fact, and I, I looked very observant. The Orthodox, you know, the, this was Friday night. My suits. White shirts, beard, the works. And I came to this one lecture, which it sounded, it sounded interesting. Not a religious uh, presenter. And right in the beginning of the lecture, he actually turned to the audience and he asked, you know, I have this prepared. You know, I would like to split us up into groups and I have an oak tag and markers and we're going to do some kind of activity. Now, this is a Friday night. I'm the most religious guy in the audience, and he asked, you know, does anybody mind that we do this? And I, I was scared to pick up my head. I had, I, I knew, and I was saying inside my head, like, all right, this is, I got to say something, because if I don't say something, nobody's going to say anything, and, you know, a lot of people don't even know you can't do this in Shabbos, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. You know, he was a charismatic speaker and everything. It's like he just first gave this whole speech out. This is so exciting, and I prepared this, and yada, yada. And then just, by the way, does anybody mind if we do this? Because this is not exactly halakhically correct. And I, could, I couldn't bring myself to say anything. And, you know, I'm embarrassed. About it after. I, listen, this happened five years ago, and I still think about the story because I feel that I, I didn't do the right thing. I felt like everybody was looking at me. I didn't actually look around, but I felt like everybody was looking like, all right, is this rabbi person going to say something? And I didn't say anything. Well, Now, luckily, luckily know, in the story... Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, at least you have Karata over it now. You know, yeah. sometimes twenty twenty hindsight has value also. If you... If you had the opportunity to do the same thing again now, would you make the same choice? It's hard to say. I, I, I'd like to say yes, yes, definitely will. But when you're on the spot and everybody is yes, looking what? at you... Yes. Hold it. Yes, you would not Yes, you would not make the same choice. I mean, yes, you would speak out. Is that what you would say? I would speak out, yes. Me, right now, talking to you, I say 100% I would speak out. Me, in that situation, again with everybody looking and then being on the spot and the way it was, I don't know. I want to say yes, and right now it's a definite yes, but there, when everybody looking and you are going to be the odd one out and ruining his whole thing. Now, in the story, luckily, there was a young uh, guy and a girl over there, a young adult, nowhere near as religious as me, but they actually said, they said, uh, yeah, no, we, we cannot do this. This is, you know, it's Shabbos, you cannot do this, you know, and uh, we, we object. And the guy didn't just let it go, he actually, he actually challenged them. He's like, oh, it's not really that big a deal, you know, other people are not religious, you don't have to do it yourselves. And they, you know, they stood their ground. And they said, no, no, we cannot, you cannot do this, we cannot even participate in something like this. 
which made me feel even worse. And like, here's here's guys who are not even on this level, and they're speaking out. And the speaker in the well, end, and there's a good ending. The speaker in the end changed up everything that he planned. He put away the markers and the oak tag, and just gave like a speech. So it worked out very nice. Everybody enjoyed it. But you know, that was my experience. Well, okay. Well, listen. I would say two things. First of all. You should cry out to that young couple that they had the, the courage of their convictions. And you, do, yeah. and you do see that it made a difference. You see that it made a difference in their lives. And you, in, in terms of speaking out, it actually effectuated a change. And as far as you're concerned, listen, you're five years older now. So five years later down the pike, that means that you've grown up. You've grown. You've changed. That's what change is. It's, it's taking our past experiences thinking about what we might have done then and what we do now. So it's certainly not an easy thing to do, but the idea is to be able to grow and say, you know, I experienced that, and if I'm ever in that situation again, I'm going to do something differently. I was just talking to one of my kids about it yes, uh, just yesterday. I was saying, you don't want to be imprisoned by the past, but you can't let yourself be oblivious to it. If you learn from that experience, then you've grown tremendously. And the fact that you that it gnawed at you for five years shows what immense you are and that you've grown immensely. And hopefully, if you're in that situation again, you will do the right thing. And speaking of the right thing, just drop me a, a note at my email, eichlermedia at gmail.com, and uh, just let me know that you called in the broadcast and um, you know what we spoke about. I'm going to send you a token of our appreciation from J. Root, okay? eichlermedia okay. at gmail.com or 848-221-4605 to leave us uh, your name, number, and contact. I want to thank you for the call. It was very thoughtful, and I appreciate your candor and your openness. This is Terrence B., a.k.a. The Reb. We will be back with more. On the station that listens to you, The Reb. I don't claim to know everything. Speak to me about anything. Hello?
everybody, this is Parents B, a.k.a. I want to thank our callers for uh, joining into the, into the dialogue. Uh, the woman who called and said that she chose to remain quiet rather than add uh, nothing to the conversation. And uh, she was absolutely right in that sense. If you can't add something to the dialogue, why just throw you, your hat into the ring just for the sake of, of talking? Or these people who just make these inane remarks on on blogs, you know, who, who, who is going to gain from that? But if it's a matter of speaking out and people would gain from it, and your silence would be construed as something which would be in agreement with something which is wrong, then we should speak out. And as our, um, as the next caller mentioned, then I think it was very brave of the person to do that, that they, they could have said something and didn't, and now later on they have regret. That's also something that a person should, should realize, look, I made a mistake. I could have, and I didn't. But you know what? Next time I'm in that situation, uh, I, I will say something. Oftentimes, it's much better to keep quiet. And if you're not sure you could have said something, you, you won't be held accountable for it. Here in a situation where you could have made a Kiddush Hashem, it probably would have been, no doubt, the right thing to do. But you know what? The next time, you will do the right thing. And the fact that you want to do the right thing is already a major step in the right direction. Hi, you're on with me, Peretz. How are you? Hello? Yes. Can you, yes, my name is Shalom. Can I share with you a story? Yes. Hello? Hi, we're listening. Am I on? Hello? Hello? I guess it's disconnected. Yeah. 
ago a few years ago I, I went there to Israel to learn the yeshiva and um, someone I met there a friend of mine from America hello yes I'm with you a, a friend of mine from, I, I, I go I, I step inside the yeshiva and someone taps me on the back and I look at my shoulder and I look and I look at and I look back and it's a friend of, that I knew many many years ago in America and I went to the same camp with and he was one of one of the top-notch uh, buffers in the yeshiva, and he helped me mm-hmm. get into the yeshiva and become part of the yeshiva. And he helped me set up with the chavrusa. Now, the chavrusa that he helped set me up was also an American from another yeshiva. But at first glance, I had the reputation that he was from a more modern Orthodox tradition. But we well, we, we 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 sat down together and and and, and started working out well as chavrusa. And then when we had a break, I went over to him and I asked him. Where do you see yourself in ten, fifteen years? Do you, can you you honestly think that you you you, you are going to remain in learning? And he says, "Well, that's the only thing that means anything in, for me in my life." Today, he's a he's a big shalomayshiv. He's a rosh Krell, and he's one of the leading. He's, he's on to become one of the leading Goliador in Eretz Yisrael. And I look and I, and I look back, and, I, and, and it gives me such inspiration. It, number one, in my tunnel that I could have work where I give me. And, 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 you know, every time I feel weak, I, I, I remember this closest friend that I have and, and the bond that we had, and, and it just lifts me up so much. It, it, it's just amazing. You know, you, you never know people can come from the most modern, they can seem to kind of come from the most modern Orthodox traditions, but deep inside burns a flame that can, that can take you, that can lift you up so high. It, it, it's unbelievable. I, I, my experience is, is, is just amazing, and, and where I am today, thanks a lot to to the to the bond and relationship that I had with this Tavlus of mine. And do you stay you stay in touch with him and let him know that? Yes, I do. I stay very much in touch with him. When I go to Israel, we're, we're close. We're like we're almost like brothers. We're we're very very close. Yeah, that's a great relationship. Wonderful to know, and that that um, says uh, a lot about your willingness to learn and to grow. So I'd like you to drop us a line. I'd like to send you a token of our appreciation. At um, You can reach me and leave a message with your contact information at my listen line, 848-221-4605, or just drop me a note at eichlermedia at gmail.com. Let us know that you called in today, and I'd like to send you a, a token of our appreciation. All right? Thanks very much Thank for you. the call, and uh, really, very meaningful, a lot of insight. You know, one of the things that we see as we move ahead in these, in these three weeks, and we see it in this week's part, is that we want to make an impact by the good deeds that we do. Not, not because we're trying to uh, score points, but because we want to make a difference in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And it, it tells us in the part that Novak went and captured the city of Kanas and the surrounding villages, and he called it Novak after his... Very interesting. Again, my good friend Rabbi Fliskin points out a Rashi that cites a motion of Darshan that this name did not last. Didn't last. And this is implied in the verse through a grammatical point. And that grammatical point is as follows. What's the purpose of the Torah's writing this? So this is the word Shimshon Raphael Hirsch said, that it teaches us a very, very important principle. And I think what we talked about today, and we're going to continue to talk about this, it has to do with, you know, Throughout the world, you have these 
these leaders, powerful leaders, that always want to leave their monuments to themselves. So remember the statue of Lenin that came tumbling down, the buildings that were named after these these, lead, these so-called leaders, kings and conquerors, they named large cities after themselves. But we all know that names can very, very easily be changed. And then nothing is left. Just like happened to Novach, who you might not even have thought about if you read into Parsha. The, the good deeds of a person and our attainments in a spiritual sense are really the only everlasting and true monuments that we have, like this fellow who just called in, and that, that wonderful bonding that he had with this fellow who, who he said what he wanted to do ten years later, and he had an aspiration and a goal. When you view the good that you do as your eternal monument, that's what you're going to leave here, then you're going to feel motivated, a much greater motivation. Like the woman who called in and said, you know, she just prefers to be quiet and let her kids see to do what the right thing to do is, but her motivation was to give her kids something to aspire to, to accomplish as much as they could. You know, any material monument, when you walk through a cemetery, I hope you don't have to walk through one often, but you'll notice many of them are deteriorated, right, in the older cemeteries. You know, other people might remember a person for what they do for a while, but unfortunately, that's just the way the world is. People will eventually forget. And when you think about it, what's really going to last? What are you going to leave? A life of Rukhni's attainments is everlasting. Why put your focus on something that's temporary when you have the choice of something that's going to be forever, forever, lasting structure, like what this woman gives over to her kids in terms of those values, or what this gentleman gave her over to his friend, and what they gained. Feel a tremendous simcha, a tremendous joy in every positive act that you do, because it's going to give splendor, it's going to add Nitzkias to the monument that you're going to build, not in this world, but in the next one, which is going to be everlasting from generation to generation. So let's all try to do the right thing. Take a step in the right direction. One step to grow for greatness, to be the best that you can be. I think that we've both learned a lot together today. I'm very grateful to you for that. You can always reach me on my uh, on my Listen coaching line, which is 848-221-4605, if um, you want to be able to schedule a session, either for groups or individuals, to talk about the things that we talked about here. Hopefully, doses of inspiration that will lead to action and lives filled with meaning, value, and purpose. And only those things which I would integrate into my own life would I give on and pass on to you. Not because I know everything, but because you can talk to me about anything. Eretz Barak and Rattuvio Levy, I want to thank you for joining us today. Please don't forget to call in and leave your name and address if you were a caller today so we can send you a token of our appreciation at eichlermedia at gmail.com or 848-221-4605. I want to thank you for listening. And remember, in the words of Hillel, the rest is commentary. Now, go and learn.